Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. And as the kids are being dismissed, I want to remind you that for this series, we're trying something new, a question and answer session after the teaching. Now, we haven't had anyone ask any questions yet. And if we do this entire uh, teaching series with nobody asking questions, or if it's just get too awkward, then we won't do it anymore. But hey, you got to try things, right? So don't like ask questions out of pity because you feel bad for me standing up here waiting for someone to ask a question. I mean, if you have a legitimate question, ask it. But we want to see if this is actually worth doing. So um, one of the things that might help you, John Skeen's uh, talked with me about this last week. It was really, really helpful. If you think of something, I'm just going to tell you now, if something comes to mind or a question comes to mind during the teaching, write it down because it's going to be really difficult to in the moment try to think of a question. So write it down. And if you don't want to ask it, you can hand it to Pastor Al and he will read it over the microphone. Um, but you are welcome to take that mic and, and ask whatever you'd like. So make a note of it today. I, I want to warn you, today has a little bit more of a, a classroom teaching type feel. Um, sometimes sermons lend themselves better to this type of instruction. There's going to be a lot. And what that means is I'm not going to be able to cover everything as thoroughly as I typically would like to. Some things we're going to go through pretty quickly, but this teaching lends itself better to hitting it at a 10,000 foot level and giving you a sheet with all the details. So congratulations if you're, this is your first time here at Southside. This is the most notes any person has ever received for a sermon. It's a front and back of a sheet of paper, and you can refer to that. I wanted to provide that. Since I'm going so quickly through this, I wanted to provide that for you as a cue for your memory to think about, reflect on throughout this week when you go home. Let's get the first slide up there of uh, Napoleon. Francis Schaeffer, in his sermon, The Lord's Work and the Lord's Way, um, compares two images, and this is the first one. This is Napoleon, and um, the picture depicted, this, this statue's in Paris, and the picture depicted here is of you know, a man who is trying to conquer the world, and he's basically saying, you know, he has his, his hand in the breast of his jacket, and his look there, if you could see his face, and the way that he's standing, it's like a power posture, it's like a power stance, and the attitude that this is depicting is, I did it, I am doing it, I will do it. And it is whatever I want. It's my will be done in my strength. It's a statue of, it's, a, it's really a trophy of human power. <laughs> human willpower. Our capacity to build towers of babels and force our way through life, force our agenda on other people and get things done in our own strength, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's a trophy of human strength. Schaefer compares that to the posture of a man who lived the only perfect human life that was ever lived. Let's go to the next slide. And this is Jesus in Gethsemane. 
He's not standing in the power stance. He's not forcing his way. He's not saying, my will be done in my strength. He's saying, God's will be done, the Father's will be done in the Father's strength. It's dependence upon God instead of dependence on ourself. The contrast I want to explore today is the choice we are given as human beings. And that is my way, by my power, or God's way, by God's power. It's the difference between activism, my way, my power, and abiding, God's way, by God's power. We're going through a sermon series this morning that's inspired and shaped by the book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Moving from Shallow Christianity to Deep Transformation, by Peter Scazzaro. And today's sermon complements chapter three. Now, you don't, you don't even have to read the book. You can just listen to the sermons. But the sermons aren't like, I'm not reading the book and like making an outline from the chapter in the book. They're meant to complement the chapters. It's not the same thing, but it's a teaching that comes alongside and further unpacks the point that Peter's making in that chapter. So if you wanna go along with us and read the book, that's great. The information's in the bulletin, and you can uh, read this along, you can listen to this sermon along with chapter three, B before you do. In his book, Peter Scazzaro says, too many followers of Jesus are chronically overextended and doing more for Jesus than their inner life with him can sustain. That's what happens when we focus more on activism than abiding. Let's turn to John 15, if you have a Bible. And if you need a Bible, by the way, we have Bibles for everyone. So if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and uh, Chad, one of our ushers, can go back and grab you one. Feel free to do that at any time. Now, we didn't get the... Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to, to read. It's very, very small. Uh, print, so sorry about that, but we got a really good deal on them. But if you don't have a Bible, it's better than nothing. And we use the ESV, the English Standard Version translation. Uh, so that's available to anybody for free if you, if you want it, and I'll even tell you what page uh, the passages are on. As you're turning there, there's something important I want to make sure we all understand. Abiding does not mean inactivity. This is really, really important because as a shepherd team is reading through this book together as well, and this is something, this was a tension that we kind of walked in, into. Abiding does not mean inactivity. Abiding means activity done in the power of the Spirit. So actually, Christians should have the fullest life and most meaningful and most productive lives of anyone on earth. It's just the Spirit is helping us do the things that are productive that actually last forever rather than temporary. Activism, on the other hand, means that you're living according to your own wisdom and your own power. And I want to look at a classic text. Probably if you've been in the church for a while, you know this text. It's John 15. We're going to look at verses 4 through 5. John 15, verses 4 through 5. So if you... I don't think anyone got it this morning, but if you did get the blue little Bible, it's on page 526. We're going to start with verse 4 in John 15. Abide in me, and I in you. 
Let's pause there because there's something you need to know about this. Who's Jesus talking to here? The NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible says, this command implies that believers are already organically connected to Jesus and are responsible to maintain that vital connection. So once we are part of God's family, it's our responsibility to maintain and to cultivate and nurture that connection. And being, becoming a part of God's family is easy. It's simple. We simply look at what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. We believe that he lived the perfect life in our place, and we entrust ourselves to him that he took care of the punishment we deserve as tiny rebels across the, the world, stiff-arming God continually. And his love warms us and softens us and draws us, and we put ourselves in a position of being on the other side of the cross. We are forgiven now because of what Jesus has done. And once you are part of his spiritual family, now, what Jesus is saying, it's our responsibility to make sure we are abiding, we are maintaining that connection. It'd be like getting married. Once you are formally married, you enter into a formal covenant relationship, but it's still your responsibility to cultivate and to nurture that relationship. Imagine getting married and never talking to your spouse again, never spending regularly regular time with your spouse again. It's like that old joke that um, every pastor has told where uh, a couple comes in for marriage counseling and the, the wife says, well, he never tells me he loves me. And the husband says, well, I told you that when we got married, I'll let you know if it changes. <laughs> like, that's not good, that's not a good way to think about marriage. Like, you have to continually cultivate. And so it's our responsibility too to continually nurture this relationship with Jesus. Let's keep reading in verse four. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. I wanna look at this next image up here. This is, a, a, this is what Jesus is talking about. So we have a vine, which is Jesus, and there's nourishment, there's sap running through the vine, nourishing the vine, but the fruit grows in the branches. So a branch comes off of the vine, the sap, the nourishment of the vine runs through the branch and bears fruit. And that's what Jesus is saying. If we are not organically linked to the vine, we're all branches. If we're not linked to Jesus, we're not going to have the sap, or in our case, the Holy Spirit flowing through us to produce the fruit that only the Spirit can yield. Imagine I, there was, um, imagine right here, there's like a vine with branches that have big clusters of grapes. What happens if I take one of those branches off of the vine with a big cluster of grape? What's going to happen? You're going to have raisins pretty soon. Is there going to be any more fruit growing from that branch? Nothing meaningful, nothing spiritually helpful. It'd be like us trying to grow as Christians without abiding in Christ would be like a branch. Like, oh, I'm going to try really hard to make clusters of grapes. 
while not being tied and linked to the vine. This is our number one responsibility in life. There's a, a Greek word, perichoresis. It it's, describes how the Trinity indwells one another. And we are invited into that. We are a mini perichoresis where the way that we live fruitfully for Jesus is we are indwelled by God himself through the Spirit. There's zero other options. There's no other way to live a fruitful life that Jesus is describing for all citizens of the kingdom, all sons and daughters of the Father. And so this is to be the focus of our lives. We see it over and over and over, abiding in Christ. And out of that relationship comes all manner of fruitfulness and vitality. Otherwise, we're trying to be nice and patient and good on our own. Otherwise, we're trying to do meaningful things for others on our own, and none of it lasts. We can't. The proper way for you to leave a Sunday morning is not more confident in yourself, but more dependent upon Jesus. You know why? Because nothing pleases God apart from faith. Nothing. Anything we do in which we are not completely dependent upon the Lord to help us is not pleasing to him. That's what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews eleven six. So you should leave this morning not wanting to try harder, but wanting to put your faith more and more in Jesus, who will sustain you, who will grow you. No time with God is ever wasted, ever. And the thing we'll always fight in this pragmatic world is Spending time with the Lord, even if that's just devotions, feels like a waste, feels like it's not doing anything. It means that we're not abiding. Because when we abide, it begins to build things in us that nothing else can. Nothing. Let's finish up verse 4. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So there's only one measure of success in the kingdom, and that is fruitfulness. And so it'd be interesting to know, what is fruitfulness? What does it mean to bear fruit? What's Jesus talking about? I mean, if we, it, it's really hard to listen to something that Jesus says or learn something from Scripture and actually reimagine our life around that truth. I mean, it's, really, it's easy to learn something, but to actually live differently, which is what Jesus is calling us to do, is a whole different animal. It's a whole different ballgame. So what does it look like for us to lead fruitful lives? Well, it's in your notes here. The first one is the spirit-empowered process of taking on the personality and come off of God. That's Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It means you begin to look like Jesus. You begin to act like he did. Because if you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. And we begin to take on his very personality. You know what his personality was like? You can mark this in your Bibles if you want. It's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Where he invites everyone who is weary and heavy laden and exhausted with life and religion to come to him. And he promises rest. 
His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He said it. Not, we're not making this up. This is what Jesus, this is how Jesus describes his come off to people. Gentle. So the more that we grow, the more that we abide in Christ intentionally and cultivate that relationship, the more we become that way. The second type of spiritual fruit bearing is every good deed or act of love done in the name of Jesus. This is Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We get a very practical example of this in Mark 9 in your notes. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, just a cup of water, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. It's as simple as that. Every good deed done for another is rewarded when it's done by faith in the name of Jesus. I see a need, and I'm, by faith, I'm going to help provide that need. And a lot of you have been doing this for a long time here at Southside in a lot of different ways. Meeting needs and solving problems. Every good deed you do for someone will be rewarded when it's done in the name of Jesus the third thing is making others, other disciples. It's a huge way that we bear fruit as Christians. It's our mission. It's what we think about. It's what we strategize for. It's what we pray about. In Genesis 1.28 it says, God commands Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. One of their responsibilities was to create a family, to build a family where the whole globe would be filled with people. The great commandment is an echo of that for people being born again, new life in Christ. So Jesus says in Matthew 28, he's essentially saying the same thing that was one of the first commandments, be fruitful and multiply and fill this earth with people who are born again citizens of this kingdom, cover the earth so that one day the whole world is covered with my glory, and it will be. Those are the ways that we bear fruit. We take on the personality of God. We do simple deeds in Jesus' name out of love for one another, and we make other disciples. The last phrase in verse 5 is important, for apart from me you can do nothing so what we see here is John 15, 5, I think, can be summed up this way. Activity without abiding is fruitless. Activity out of abiding is fruitful. Now, very quickly, I just want to go over this. There's two lists here side by side, and you can spend more time on this if you like, but I'm going to go over it fairly quickly. We could do a multi-week sermon just on these lists, and I can, if you want, like, texts that kind of back these things um, or books or studies, let me know. You can email me and, and I'll help you out with that. But I got to go over it really quickly. The marks of a doing before being person is a hurried pace of life. And I think more than a hurried pace of life, because sometimes when you're doing the work of God, you get busy. There's nothing morally wrong with being busy. It's, a, it's more of a hurried heart. 
I could have used a little different language there. You might cross that out and just say a hurried heart. And typically that is pace of life. I mean, if you're always crazy busy, there's something wrong with that. But we go through seasons where we are really, really busy. There's just no way to avoid that. That's, every, that's being a human being. But to have a hurried heart where you're rushing past people, that's a mark that you know, we're, we're in the doing before being mode. The other side is that we have a slower pace of life or a slower heart. Another mark of a doing before being person is anxious toil. We're not sleeping well. Now, again, this, like if you had a bad night of sleep last night, oh man, I'm, I'm in the, the doing before being mode, Greg. It's like, it happens. Sometimes you just have a bad night of sleep. If it's chronic where your mind never turns off, you never have heart rest that comes from a deep faith in Christ, that, God, that in the end, God will work everything out. If, if you're never sleeping because your mind, you're just frenetic all the time at night, you can't sleep, that's a mark of a doing before being person. Whereas a, a being before doing, an abiding person, you do fulfilling work, you work hard, and then you sleep soundly. And that's Psalm 127 too. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he, gives sleep, for he gives to his beloved sleep. God actually wants you to have a good night of sleep. Now, there are physical things and chemistry things and all sorts of things that might be at work preventing us from having a good night of sleep. I don't want to make light of any of that. But if you're not sleeping well because of this anxious toil of trying to make everything happen like Napoleon was in your own strength, if that's what's keeping you up, then something's off. The next thing is, uh, mark of a doing before being person is frustrated and annoyed by interruptions. And mark of a being before doing person has space for interruptions. I get very frustrated. I get very annoyed. Guess what? I don't have the luxury of pretending I have this all together. You know why? Because I have two teenage daughters in the room, and you can ask them. And sometimes I get very impatient and very annoyed and very frustrated, and I don't like being interrupted, particularly when I'm trying to go to sleep. I don't like when it's like I'm winding down to go to bed. Everybody out. I just leave me alone. My sleep is really, really important. Sometimes I don't like interruptions, and I can be very impatient. The point is, you're not instantly, immediately going to be perfect in all these things, but you're moving in that direction. You're getting more kind. They're less afraid that I'm going to bite their head off when they interrupt me. Less afraid than two years ago. That's the goal. I mean, we're all in this together. The other one is constantly clamoring. That's a mark of doing before being. You constantly want to do things to accomplish because that's where your identity is. Even in the church we see this. But if you are safe and secure as a child, a beloved child of the Father who the Father delights in, you don't need to do anything to prove anything to him. You live a life out of his acceptance and his love for you, which means you'll do whatever. So instead of clamoring the marks of a being before doing person is totally content to do small hidden works. The marks of a doing before being person is short-lived fruit, temporary acclaim from people. 
as opposed to lasting fruit, honored publicly by God and his timing. A being before doing type of activism in general, annoyed by people most of the time. And the marks of being before doing is filled and overflowing with the patient and gentle love of Jesus. Am I becoming, I know I'm not in a good place when I start complaining about people. Actually, my spiritual director says, after your quiet time, go into your day without complaint. Any complaint against another, to another, is slander and gossip and sin. That's hard. That's really, really difficult. That's high-level transformation. And I'm just not there. But are we moving there? Are we moving in that direction? All these things can be, you can look at the big picture of activism versus abiding, doing before being versus being before doing, and say, and ask the question, are we living as though we're a machine or a person? A machine that just gets things done and mark and, you know, rips through a to-do list? Or are you a person who's available to the needs of the people around you? The Industrial Revolution wrecked us <laughs> because the way that we see success post-Industrial Revolution is we see our lives as we are all standing in a giant assembly line of our lives accomplishing and doing and accomplishing and doing. And it ripped us out of the natural flow, the design that God put us in as beers first. We be we are beings, sons and daughters, and citizens of the kingdom who work out of the power of the Spirit in us. Another way you could think of it is, are we, do we see the world as a farm or a factory? Or a factory or a garden? Do we see it as just, again, accomplishing things? a piece of a larger machinery or people who are planted in God's garden who gradually grow beautiful fruit that brings glory to him. When we are abiding in Christ, our life takes on a more gentle feel but is actually more fruitful and fulfilling. We're striving this anxious toil, that scripture that Ecclesiastes calls it, anxious toil that keeps us awake at night. It's a difference between that and a restful, deeper work where you're actually doing more. So how do I abide in Christ? Well, Scripture says a couple ways. One is abide in His Word. That's John 8, 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Another is abide in His love. That's John 15, 9. It's in your notes. As the Father has loved me, so so have I loved you, abide in my love. And here's some practical ways that you can do that. You can first try our devotional track. Uh, there's a, it's, it's available in the, wel- in the lobby, in the welcome desk. And it's a fantastic way of doing morning devotions. You can do it 15 to 20 minutes a morning, you know, four or five days a week. Or you can do it every day. You can add to it. But the, the genius, if you really follow those steps, the genius of it is it the flow was designed for connection. 
And I think it's important also at another point in your life in your, or during your day that you have a systematic way of reading through Scripture. But the point of your morning devotions is more connection than learning. So have another time where you're reading through the entirety of Scripture. That's very important. You get a complete picture of God. But morning devotions is for connection. And it strengthens you and transforms you and changes you in ways that nothing else can. It's for personal communion with God. Again, you're going to need to battle pragmatism on this because you might try it for a couple weeks and say, it isn't working. We're talking about fruitfulness. It's like, it's like planting an apple tree and going out a week later and saying, where's all the apples? That's a ripoff. Or deciding that you know, you're going to start going to the gym and going for a couple weeks and then going home and looking in the mirror or stepping on a scale, whatever, and saying, where's all the improvement? That's a ripoff. I've been doing this for two weeks straight and I feel no different. And if I don't feel different, I'm not doing it. I've been doing this devotional track for five years, almost five, five years in January. And I can tell you that it has an accumulative effect. The first year, I don't think I experienced any difference. Five years into it, I can tell you that every time, every time I meet with God in a new way, every time. Following Jesus is not like being put into a microwave. It's like being put into a slow cooker. Things don't happen immediately. As much as we want it to and as much as we have a world that's built around us for immediate results, Jesus doesn't bend to that. The Spirit will not yield to our crazy. He just won't. you got to do it His way. Another thing that would be helpful for abiding in Christ is to memorize Scripture. Again, I learned this from Bill Dogram, who's my spiritual director and mentor in a lot of ways. He said that when you memorize Scripture, it has authority over you. When you don't memorize Scripture, you have authority over it. And what he means is, if I haven't memorized the Scripture, and a situation comes up in my life, it's not in my head, it's not buried and tucked away in my heart like the psalm says, so that I might not sin against you. He says, tuck the word away in your heart so that the Spirit can use it and guide your decisions in the moment. If you don't memorize the passage, the Spirit has nothing to work with in you when you're facing temptation or something. You have authority over it. You can say, I don't need you. I'm going to try to figure this out on my own. But when you memorize a passage, you begin to build a library of ammunition that the Holy Spirit can use whenever he wants. And when he brings a passage to mind that you've memorized, it means that that passage has authority over you. Now you have to do what it says. You're facing temptation and you're not sure if you can handle it, but you've memorized Hebrews 2.18. And so the Spirit brings it up out of your heart into your mind because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. 
That's your way out. Jesus faced temptation, he'll help you. And then you pray and he helps you. You're facing suffering and you're frustrated and it's starting to feel like your life is gonna be the same bad day over and over, that's despair. And God brings Romans 8, 18 to mind, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to you. You've put it in your heart, the Spirit can use it. Now that has authority over you, now you have to think different because once a passage comes to mind, you can be comforted in knowing that the Spirit is with me in this, Jesus is with me in this. You're facing a hard decision and you're needing wisdom. You're needing insight. You're needing understanding. And what if there's nothing in your heart that he can use? But what if you've memorized James 1.5? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. And now you're reminded by the Spirit of God who has authority in that, in that moment because you've buried that passage in your heart. You're reminded to pray and ask for God. Ask for wisdom from God. If you're frustrated because you feel like God never talks to you, maybe it's because he doesn't have a vocabulary of your heart yet. You haven't put scripture, you haven't buried scripture in your heart. Howard Hendricks used to say, when he would talk to men, just like maybe it's about purity things and they just can't overcome the struggle, he would tell them, you never will until you start memorizing scripture. You, will, you don't have a chance because you're trying to exercise your own power, your own authority. You can't do it. Scripture is the thing that's alive and active. Scripture is the thing that comforts and strengthens. Scripture is the thing that you put inside yourself that literally changes you and transforms you. You're not memorizing scripture, you're not gonna win this battle. He would say it that strongly. He's discipled people longer than I've been alive. So I trust him. And I've noticed the changes in my own life and, and other people that I've discipled. When you start memorizing scripture, it does something different. It does something different. It's another way we can learn to abide in God. If you're looking for a place to start, I put this in your notes. Check out fighterverses.com. It's a great website. Fighterverses.com. It'll give you a place to start. Or reach out to me or Alex. It's funny, when, when Alex, I don't even, yeah, you remember this, I'm sure. Alex and I used to, when we were thinking about what would it look like for us to do ministry together, and we started doing, um, we started doing walks and prayers and things like that. And one day, one day I was like, let's just stand in my backyard. And this is, you please hear my heart on this. This is, this is an example of what two broken people need to do. We don't memorize scripture because we're spiritual. We memorize scripture because we need to be more spiritual. So this is no way something to brag about. The more scripture you memorize, the more you need God's help, the weaker you are. That's the point of this illustration. So Alex and I were in my backyard. We're, I think we were throwing a football. <laughs> we were throwing a football. And I said, for the next hour, we're just going to go back and forth and quote verses that we've memorized. Because I want to make sure that if we're going to be pastoring, we have an arsenal of scripture or we'll never survive for an hour, oh, maybe over an hour. For an hour, I think, we quoted scripture back and forth, never looked at a Bible. 
And I think we learned something about each other that day that we take this seriously. We see how much we need God's help. We have an arsenal, a library inside of us that the Spirit can use at any moment. Or else, if we didn't, you better start looking for another pastor or two. Because it means we're doing it on our own, in our own authority. A life of abiding rather than frenetic activism is countercultural. And it's one of the ways that God calls us to be salt and light. You're going to have to be different in some ways from the rest of the world. You, it's part of the, part of the plan. And it's easy to be different in some ways. You know, don't drink and smoke and chew and hang with people who do. That's easy. I want us to be different in ways that the world will take note and sit up and say, what do you have? Because the Spirit is doing something different in you. You can do those other things out of your own discipline. That's not impressive, and it never will be. What's impressive is a heart that's becoming more soft to Christ. I want to end with this quote by John Piper. It's in your notes. You can follow along or just read it later. I think he captures this really well. He says, Wherever there are people whose hearts are not fretful or anxious, or in a resentful frenzy, but instead have a tranquility of heart and a kind of peaceful abandon in which they take thought for others' concerns instead of being all wound up in their own. Wherever there are people like that, the world sits up and takes notice. And rightly so, because in all likelihood, something out of this world is at work there. Something that people everywhere are hungry for, even if they're not sure what it is. The world is full of anxious people, students anxious about whether people will laugh at their new shoes, about getting good grades, about giving a book report in front of the class, adults anxious about impressing the boss, losing a client, finishing a report on time, getting out of a foolish investment, a strange pain in the chest. From time to time, there settles over everyone that dark, gray, heavy blanket of depressing anxiety that, in the moment, makes everything look dark and seems impossible to throw off. The experience is so common that those who live in peace and freedom and joy shine like stars in the darkness. Those who have found the way to obey Jesus' command, be anxious for nothing, these are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They bring savor and sunshine to places where the creeping gray fog of anxiety has made everything tasteless and dark. Abiding in Christ instead of sheer activism means that our inner life becomes more like the inner life of Christ. Warm joy a peaceful come off, a calm strength, because it's not us. It's not our personality. It's God's personality shining through the brokenness of our flesh. And only out of that deep internal transformation are we able to live a profoundly meaningful and fulfilling life. It's being before doing. It's abiding 
before activity. All right. We're going to just try it again. It's okay. It's okay if you don't. Does anybody have any questions before I pray us out? Oh, Jay. I kind of knew Jay would be the first. Do you want the, you got to have the mic so other people can hear. Is that okay? Mm. Talk about the come off of God. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a really good question. Thanks, Jay. Um, everybody leaves a wake behind, you know? There's some people that when you have a conversation with them, it's almost like they could make coffee nervous. And when they leave, the wake they leave behind is anxiety. They're, they're, your inner life will spill out into others. You can't hide it. You can't. So come off is the wake that you leave behind in other people. And so how, when you are in the presence of God, how do you leave different? And that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's a great question. It's the traces of yourself that you leave in the lives of other people. So when we are communing with Jesus, traces of him come out through us. That's a good. Thanks, Jay. Anybody else? Oh, here we go. Look, we're getting into it here. Praise got it. This might be a really simple question. I don't know. Maybe I doubt it coming from you. <laughs> I feel like You're I a good complicate thinker. things, but how do you... There's a lot of things in my life that I depend on the Lord for, but there's also this huge area where I don't know how to depend on him because I know how to do it myself. And it's not, it doesn't sound as, doesn't, not as egotistical as it sounds. Yeah, yeah. Like, if you know how to do something, how do you, how do you depend on the Lord in yeah. those things? Yep, I, yep, that's a great question. Pastor Al's going to answer that for us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you can, you can, hey, chime in whenever you want to. Um, Jesus is, it's interesting because Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But I'm like, I can tie my shoe apart from you. I know how to cook rice apart from you. I think what it means is turning ordinary things into an act of service and prayer. I think that's part of it. So when, and Kara's really good with this, I learned this from, from her. When she's doing something she knows how to do, like, making the kids lunches in the morning, she's offering it as an act of prayer, an act of service. When we're doing Sunday morning, I know how to lead a Sunday morning service. I know how to design you know, a, a sermon. I could do that without the Lord's help. But if I do, there's no spiritual fruit that's going to happen because of it. So even though I know how to put together a sermon, it's a constant dependence saying, Father, apart from your Holy Spirit, this is going to be good, maybe even interesting, but fruitless. There will be no lasting thing that comes out of this. Apart from your help in making this lunch, maybe that my daughters, you know, they'll get nourished physically. But I'm asking that you would bless this time that I'm creating this for them. 
and use this as a time for me to pray for them in maybe a different way than I normally would? Would you nourish them spiritually as I'm, as I'm doing this? Would you teach me how to nourish them spiritually as I'm doing this physically? So I think it's linking something possibly spiritual to the thing that you're doing that you know how to do. In all of life, you know, it's, it's doing everything unto the Lord. And I have a feeling you're, you do that pretty well anyways, but does that help at all? I have a great, I would just yeah. have a practical example. Um, that's happened recently. I mean, I can design a practice schedule for basketball like that, and I can motivate my girls easily. I can get them to do whatever I really want them to do. Um, but I just had a, a, just a couple weeks ago, an open gym, I was frustrated because I'm dealing with teenage basketball players, and my the way that I reacted to them came out of a place of where I knew that I could show up and get it done. But I didn't, as a Christian, think about it and pray about it mm. beforehand. And I wasn't a gentle person. And I wasn't a loving person, even as a basketball coach. And as a coach, you know, you're supposed to be strong-willed. I mean, that's kind of how I was coached. But I think there's another way. And so um, I kind of came back to myself, prayed about it that next day. And then on the Wednesday there, I actually apologized and shared. The way that I want to come off as a coach is I can get you to do this you know, there's a million ways to skin a cat. But for me, I want to be a gentle coach, a loving coach, and still demand good things out of you. So it's just being able to say, I can do this, but without Christ, without God, I'm not going to do it in the way that God would want me to. So that's what I think. That's good. That's good. So that we get to the place where even the ordinary things that we do, because that's where 99% of life is lived, is done with, the, with an inner tranquility of Christ. And that's... That's it. Tranquility and gentleness and strength should be the normal inner experience. It takes years to get there. One last thing that's really, that's really helpful, I was thinking, um, is I, I was taught this too, to pray through your day in the morning. So pray through the appointments, pray through the different places you're going you're gonna to be, pray through the different things you're going to be doing. Just conversationally walk with the Lord through those things. And I am shocked at how often ordinary things turn into something more because I've asked God to feel free to intervene wherever he wants. He has a tendency to do that. Uh, well, that's two questions. Great job, everybody. That was fun. I think we're going we're gonna to call it there unless someone absolutely has to ask something or if you have something to add, if you have something to say, if you have like maybe a brief testimony or something, this is a time to do it. Yeah, Kip. Can we get you the, the mic? I think I have a loud voice. You do, but this will make sure it's on the recording then, because we want you uh, on the recording. Um, when you were talking about the fruitfulness and things um, of doing it through God to gain that, mm. I have a hard time or struggling in when do you determine you're doing it for God to grow and you're mm. not doing it for selfish reasons, Yeah. whether it be for a stranger or even for a family member you cook dinner when they come home and if it doesn't get recognized yeah kind of get angry or yeah I don't know how to do that for God and not always for not selfish reasons yeah that's me too that is really hard man that's a that's a high level question there Kip I um one of the things I think it's impossible to know because Paul said I don't even know my own heart <laughs> 
I don't, I don't know when you know, my motives are mixed or wrong or whatever, but there can be some signs that this is an area where Jesus is inviting us to grow. Like so if I make, your example, if I make care in the family dinner, that would be a miracle. If they come home and there is dinner waiting for them and nobody thanks me and I'm like, what the heck, Are you, I'm never doing that again, are you kidding me? Okay, that might be a, an invitation from Jesus to start doing things in secret for people. That's a spiritual muscle that can actually be exercised. Um, in spiritual formation, one of the disciplines is doing things in secret. If you constantly need affirmation or attention from people, which I don't think that's, I don't think that's you at all, Kip, but if you, if you struggle with constantly needing attention for things that you do, and you realize that, then maybe you say, okay, for the next few months, I'm gonna do something every week, a secret good deed for someone, and I'm gonna ask the Spirit to use that little practice to begin to change me internally. Um, but I think ultimately it's impossible to really know exactly where all those motives begin and end. It's really, really tough. That's a great question. Does that help at all? And we can talk more too anytime, but. Good. Awesome, guys. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.